Hey everyone, welcome to the Journeyman Fire Podcast. My name is Grant. I'll be going to be your host today. Uh, it's been a while since we've recorded one of these. Uh, we're not trying to put these out on any kind of timetable, but as uh, conversations and people come up, uh, we can get a chance to record these. We like to put them out. Uh, this one's a long one, but it's a good one. Uh, I got with me one of my good friends, Brian Abbott. He's going to share his powerful story with you, uh, and I think you're going to enjoy it quite a bit. Brian has been in the fire service since 2003. He's a backstep firefighter at Elyria Fire Department in Ohio. He's an instructor for Missions First Concepts and Brothers in Battle. He's a skilled prop builder and passionate about search. Uh, I met Brian several years ago. He took our first FDIC residential primary search making the grab class in Indiana. And he took it that year. He's good friends with uh, Gary Lane. Gary was teaching with us that first year. And then Gary's like, hey, bro, you got to bring this guy on. He wants to teach with us. And he's an awesome guy. So that next year, Brian came out with us. He taught and uh, he just showed up with all of his tools. And man, the dude can get after it. Uh, doesn't talk a lot, but he uh, he can build anything, and his vision is amazing. So, uh, welcome, Brian. Thanks, man. How are you? Good, to, good to be on. <laughs> I know it's it's good, man. I'm glad we could make this work. We've talked about it for a long time, and we're finally gonna able able to record it. So, uh, before we jump into anything, like, tell us about your you, your fire service, uh, and and your family. Yeah, um, I. I was, uh, I wanted to be a fireman since I was like 17 years old. You know, I just, I, I didn't really have any specific experience or anything like that. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I was the guy that throw my stuffed animals off a hill in the backyard and try to go rescue them. Um, found the Explorer post when I was like 14, um, was able to do that locally, which was pretty cool. So, you know, kind of got a taste of it and, uh, got introduced to a vocational program that I could take during my senior year of high school. So I got to take that. Um, I had the opportunity to get my EMT basic and my 120 fire. I had to take that on my own at night, but, um, got that done. And, uh, when I graduated, I mean, I was, I was 18 years old EMT and 120 fire, which was awesome. Um, I immediately got a job in an emergency room. Uh, it was like a level three trauma center emergency room in Cuyahoga County. Um, Super good experience I got. I worked there for like five years. Um, probably by the year after I started that job, I was able to get hired at a volunteer part-time, full-time, you know, kind of combination department at, at Richfield Fire Department. So um, I still kind of grew my roots there. Um, I got into uh, some pretty awesome stuff and um, like that was it. I knew what I wanted to do from there. Um, I, I was super passionate about it. I just wanted to grow and want to learn more. And there was so much to learn you know and i went from there um so you know throughout those times i grew and you know i i was able to uh i, I actually dated my wife throughout high school we kind of took a break um got back together later on down the road but um I, you know i now have five boys um you know it's a busy life but uh i, I married a woman that i i couldn't couldn't describe or couldn't like the best woman i i could ever ever see she she is a rock she is a stud she is a a very faithful christian woman and somebody um who has kept me on track for years to come and uh i couldn't ask for anybody you know anybody better to spend my life with so it, it's been awesome you know and and uh she has uh <laughs> kept things together through years on the road and been so supportive of what i've wanted to do in my mission and my passion so it's been great 
That's cool. It's great to uh, hear stories of of you and her and the family. You're good. You're a good dad for sure. Um, we kind of met. Uh, we met kind of through Gary Lane, which was pretty cool. Yeah. So so I think the first year we were teaching up at FDIC, you took the class, and then oh. Gary's like, "Oh man, you got to meet Brian." Like he took the class, and and like he he he'd be a perfect fit for this. Uh, and so, yeah, I got to meet you and immediately fit in with the guys. And we're, we're particular about the guys that we work with because we're like a family and uh, we all share that that passion and drive. Uh, but, man, you you fit right in. Man, you you roll out there with the trailer and and your skill in in building things and vision and prop building is like no other. Uh, so yeah, it's been awesome getting to, to work with you. And then as our relationship, uh, has grown over the years and just, just talking about fire stuff and then non-fire stuff. So, you know, I don't want to dance around the topic too much. I want to kind of jump right in, but, um, you know, we've, we've got a problem mental health wise in the fire service, you know, tremendous problem. And you and I were talking before we got started, it's like, how, how do we actually, know that somebody close to you or somebody in your group is struggling with just anything. Yeah, I think that's huge. Um, You know, it's one of those things. I think we're so good at hiding it. We're so good at avoiding um, the topics. We're so good at, you know, yeah, he's good, man. He's a good dude. And, And that's how that rolls. Or we have a horrible incident and it's like, you know, well, you know, we asked if he was okay and he said he was fine. So things got to be good. Right. And, uh, I, I think that's a big struggle because I think, uh, the, just kind of the, the, what we're seeing now is we're starting to get into it, but we're barely brushing the surface. And at the same time, it's when guys are struggling, we're, we're blowing that off or it's still a cultural battle of, yeah, man, that, that guy, I don't know. He's nuts. He's, you know, and it's like, well, did did we look at what he's struggling with? Did we ask him? Did we take the time? Did I mean everybody wants to throw out brotherhood and did we take the time to ask him what's going on? And I, I think that's huge, you know. And I, I felt like there's parts of my career where I felt abandoned in things. And, you know, I don't know. I would love to start the story of where I was and where I felt like my career made a turn. Um and, and we can talk about that and you know what was done about it what was you know maybe what was failed so so there's a lot to that you know yeah but i think i think it's more than me calling you and say hey brian how you doing oh i'm good hey hey, family's good yeah everything's good hey let's talk about the fire service let's talk about the class we got coming up and and pausing long enough to be like no bro like actually tell me something (laughs) tell me something about what's going on because then i can get a few more minutes to kind of judge where you're at or how your stories go. And we just got to pay more attention. And I feel like it's, I think it's only going to get worse. Uh, You know, you hate to say the next generation, but a lot of them have trouble relating because everything's through text and everything's on the phone. And so we're not good at reading people or having real conversations. And I, you know, I, I talk to my girls about that a lot. Like you really need to master the art of being a friend and listening and, and trying to get into uh uh, a little bit deeper on what's going on with people. So you can at least listen. We don't get the problem with firemen is we got, we, we feel like we got to fix everything. And sometimes yeah. it's just actually list. <laughs> just listen, just listen. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Yeah. So I just, think that, 
huge. I think uh, texting, email, anything like that takes the emotion out of it. Um, I think making the time to call somebody, making the time to actually get together and just grab a cup of coffee or whatever, you know, and you got to remember people that are struggling, you know, you, you probably don't want to go get a beer with them because that's probably not the best thing for them. Um, many of the times, man, alcohol is huge in masking things and it, it is the world's best tool at masking things. But at the same time, you know, give them an option to not use a substance to numb or change the subject. Go get coffee. Go just hang out and grab a meal. Uh, something that doesn't have alcohol. You know, um, I, I think that's a big thing in the fire service that we struggle with. And, you know, I struggle with it because, man, that's it's a great tool. But at the same time, we say it's a great tool. It's the most destructive thing we could possibly do. And um, we, we offer that up, you know having a bad day let's go get a beer no no let's let's not do that let's go into something uh, a little more meaningful let's let's you know again coffee um you know what do you want to talk about you want to you know faith-based things those are huge um so you know i know it's kind of bouncing around things but at the same time we got to understand um the crutches and the things that make people um kind of give the ability to talk through a conversation, but not really give you their feelings. And many times that's because uh, what we, we make available for them to get through those feelings. Like you know, we want this to be true and honest. And we want to help them, but um, we don't want to put them in a place where they don't have the ability. You know, and I think that's huge. <clears throat> Absolutely. So let, let's jump in, jump into your story, jump into the, to what we got to talk about today. Yeah. So like, yeah, we're here. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my story started a long time ago. I'm a super passionate fireman. Um, I think like five years into my job, I was super passionate. Um, I, I really felt the, the pull and the call to be better, um, to master the basics, to do things better. Um, I started doing a lot of stuff on my own, um, building things, making things, making props, um, trying to make my department better, which I thought was huge to me. <laughs> um, you know, funny story, social media. I saw a picture of some dude forcing a door with a rubber hammer and a halligan. And I was like, what is going on here? And, uh, you know, long story short, it was Gary Lane. And somebody called him out saying something was stupid. And he's like, you know, BS, we're going to force this door with a rubber hammer and a halligan. And it's going to go fine. And I'm like, I need to meet this guy. So, you know, I, uh, I reached out to Gary. I met Gary and uh, I just had recently built a forcible entry door. And I'm like, hey, man, I want you to come out and check out this door I built, see how things go. So, but like within a day, he's like, oh, heck yeah, you know, you're local. I'm going to come out. We did it. We forced the door. He's like, yeah, door is good, man. Needs a few things. Um, we should work together a little. And I'm like, holy smokes. Like, you know, it kind of blew my mind. So um, that was super awesome. And uh, from there, we just kind of built a relationship. Um, I actually knew Sean Faust, who's our other guy from Mission First, um, you know, which is really originally Rogue Fire. Um, because I worked at the same city, um, you know, he worked in at the hospital. So I kind of knew him by face. Um, talk about, talk about a great group, great people, like people just so passionate about the job and just wanted to build things and make things better. And man, it's, it was an incredible experience. And we, we, we just kind of blossomed from there. We started doing forceful entry classes, started building better doors, um, started, you know, Gary started selling tools. Um, we built a lot of props. Um, just some incredible things that um, I, I couldn't be more thankful to be part of. Um, we were hitting up some heavy conferences, things like that. You know, things are great. Um, we we started kind of rubbing shoulders a little with Brothers in Battle. Um, some of the uh, Harrisburg conferences um, stuff, you know, it was, 
I couldn't, couldn't be more thankful for where I was in my life and the people I was getting to meet. And, uh, yeah, and it was, man, we, at one, one point, you know, we were at our second, uh, Portland fire conference with brothers in battle and, and they asked us to be part of brothers in battle. And I, I couldn't like, couldn't wrap my head around this. And, and they're like, yeah, we want all of you. And, um, the, the caliber of those people, the caliber of brothers in battle and, and how they hold themselves, um, it's hard to describe, um, it, you know, and, and it's, it was an opportunity that I never thought I was going to get and an opportunity of recognition that, you know, we're doing good work and we're doing good things. And, and, and this is where we should be, you know, and we're doing these things for these purposes. You know, we want guys to be better. We want them to be, you know, absolutely, you know, professionals of their craft and, um, building things, you know, to be better. So man, we did it and we went, we went all in and, and we had a great time. Um, at that time, I think I kind of got to meet you a little more. Um, we had the opportunity to teach at FDIC and, um, you know, get into those things. And man, it's meeting you, the people that you surround yourself with and, um, you know, man, just incredible people, people I would have never had the opportunity to even talk to or rub shoulders with like, I'm so thankful for. So, you know, my career is, I felt on fire and it, it is rocking and um, I hate going to work still. And um, I had that, that thing and I go to the conference, I get the conference high and then I come back and I'd be like, Oh my gosh, like, is there any hope here? And um, it, it was back and forth. And, and then I go another, another conference. And when you surround your people with high achievers and people like yourself and brothers in battle and things like that, like, you, you you are on top of the world when you're at that conference and then you come home. I, I really think you hit that low because, you know, you're, every department, it, it doesn't doesn't <laughs> doesn't have those people, you know, and, and we have those struggles and we have the politics and we have the breakdowns. And so, you know, I, I may unintentionally put myself in a yo-yo scheme and it was it was awesome. Great. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Crappy. Awesome. You like all, all the time. And um, I really started to view um, my department in a way that I was like, I, I don't know if we can ever get to where I want to be. And is this where I want to be? And I think, um, you know, I kind of got to the point where I, I even think at John Spear at one point said in an interview, like, our department has standards, but we also have standards. And we need to start holding our standards towards you know, is our department meeting our standards? And I think that's really, um, that really came to the point where I was like, they're not meeting my standards. Um, I, I can't give a reduced service to the people I swore to serve because I want to worry about safety when I knew, you know, it, it was, there's an opportunity to act and we could do something better. And, um, you know, that became a struggle for me. That was a moral battle. Um, that was a, uh, like something that really sat deep with me that ate at me. And, um, you know, that, that, uh, that became a, a point of professionalism became a point of serving each other the point of serving on, you know, the mission that focuses on the people we swore for. And I saw that turn and it was, man, it just, it crushed me. And, um, I just kept pushing harder. I kept pushing, you know, pushing to the point where, it started to, you know, this is a thing that we're not talking about is moral injury in the fire service. Um, it started to the point where I was pushing so hard to do the best for the people I swore to serve. 
and I was fighting so many guys that didn't want to serve it, um, I began to feel that moral injury, but I didn't realize it. And that moral injury is, is just, you know, it brings you to the point of uh, it becomes a priority in your life and it becomes the point where you're holding things so high that you begin to leave and not focus on um, the things in your personal life and, and just make it work-based. And um, that's when things became bad for me. Um, that, I mean, and I didn't realize it. I didn't see it coming. I was like, no, this is what needs to happen. We're, we're go, go, go. And, uh, you know, kept pushing harder, kept pushing to the point of, uh, you know, we need to reach what I feel we need to reach. And I uh, didn't realize what I was doing at home. So I'll give you the opportunity to chime in if you need to. I'm just enjoying the story. Oh. Uh, so can you maybe give some examples of, of what was happening at home? Um, so man, it's on the low end. It was just me being so invested in work. I started to, to um, kind of branch out, not, not be as interested in my kids, not being interested in my family. Um, started to push a little, a little bit away from church and, uh, you know, everything I thought, you know, was good for me. I started to push a little away from, because I was like, you know, I need to invest more in work. I need to invest more in the mission of this department because, you know, it's not meeting it and I can't have this. And then that was my mind. Um, you know, and that became, um, we kind of dived into I'm trying to think, uh, the best way to describe this, but, um, you know, it, it became into smaller things of now I'm going to miss this event. I'm going to miss that event. And she's like, well, you're not working. I'm like, well, I, I just got to work on this stuff. You know, I got to get this stuff done. I got to do this thing. Um, and it became almost an avoidance. And then I came kind of like kind of coming into this almost a hole of, you know, this is this is all I'm worried about. This is what I'm focused on. This is what I feel like my life is right now. Um, later down the road, you know, it, it became much worse. And I mean, if we want to dive in that, we can do that now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, it was like, I don't know, March of 2021. Um, I got to the point of, I was like, man, I think something's wrong with me. Like, I'm so angry. I, I hate my department. Um, I'm so upset of where we're at. I'm so disappointed in where we're at. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm rolling down a path of just, I can't fix this by myself. And I, I am, I am beside myself. And <laughs> what's the first thing we do, man, we roll it alcohol because that, that begins to give you that opportunity to numb things, uh, makes you feel better. You think, and, uh, you know, I was drinking heavy and it came to the point one day where I was like, I just kind of felt broken. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like, what am I doing? I, I feel like I'm a one man show trying to keep this department afloat and they're just going to mess it up. And, uh, I was crushed and I was like, like, do I need help? You know? And I, I mean, I remember having this conversation like very blatantly in the same garage I'm standing in and it was like, do I need help? And I'm like, you know what? I know a guy that works for peer support. I'm going to give him a call and uh, see what he thinks. And, uh, I gave him a call and I, and he's like, yeah, man, you need help. Like, he goes, you're messed up. He goes, I can tell. He go, and he was like straight up honest with me. And he's like, let's just get you into some counseling. I'm like, awesome. Let's do it. You know, my wife was like, you know, 100% on board. Go. Like something's not right. 
So I went to counseling. Um, it was like inpatient uh, counseling at a traumatic uh, stress center. Um, I thought it was good and I thought I was doing well. And uh, I got pretty much through the summer. And uh, even my wife was like, nah, something's not right, you know. And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I'm still not happy. I'm going through this counseling, doing this treatment. And, uh, you know, I hit about August. And uh, beginning of August of that year, I, I really felt like I, I went downhill. Um, I <laughs> Drinking heavy was uh, one thing. And then, uh, you know, I stepped it up because I was like, I hate my life. I hate everything I had. Like, literally came to the point of just I hated everything. I was angry. I was I didn't want to deal with anybody. Um what, you know, did you withdraw from like your friends and people or were you kind yeah, of just oh, yeah, there? And... Yeah, big time. And I think, uh, you know, I'm sorry I left that out. Um, I definitely became very focused on me. And I don't even know if people felt like I withdrew. I don't feel like I'm a big, huge friends guy and don't, you know, the, the few people I have, um, you know, I, I, I talk and reach out to, but I'm not. I'm not a social butterfly. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of that guy, you know, if there's something to do, I'm ready to do work and like, let's build and make it happen. Um, but social stuff I struggle with. And even on social media, like I felt like social media was beating me down, which is crazy. I'm like, Oh, Facebook's beating me up. Like really? But it was like, you know, you see the negative comments, you see the things you see and, and all that compounds. And um, I don't think anybody realized still that I was to the point where I was. Um, I don't even think my wife was, you know, obviously she lives with me and my, you know, and, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, I was, man, I was good at hiding it. Like I'd bury that stuff. Nobody would know I was drinking. Nobody, I mean, and I never went to work drunk. I never did anything stupid like that. But at the same time on my days off, you know, I was me and I was doing everything I could to survive. And I was in full survival mode and, man, I like everything down to acting like I couldn't wait to go to an event, even though there's nothing worse than I, I didn't want to be in public. Like I started to struggle with um, almost like social anxiety. I didn't want to be around people ever. Like that got bad. Um, you know, and uh, to wrap around this, uh, you know, and uh, hopefully the story's not all over the place, but in 2011, I had an active shooter event in my department. Um, you know, eight people dead total. Um, I was 28 years old. And uh, that's kind of, I think every person hits their point in becoming a man and hitting manhood. Uh, and I mean, I think that was it for me. I think that's the most evil and the most awful thing I've ever seen. Um, and I, I think that was my turning point. And when things probably started to go downhill for me, but I didn't know it yet. And, you know, my department dealt with it as you're good. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm great. All right. You know, on to the next call and uh, no fault of them. They didn't know any better. Um, you know, and I think in 2011, I don't, I don't think we really knew much about this. I, I still think it's a very, even today guys don't know much about it. We don't talk about it. We don't, you know, like, Oh yeah, that was a really bad call. I'm like, well, how many people can say, you know, on one hand, they've gone to an active shooter event and, you know, the life's been great after, um, you know, it wasn't, and, uh, I struggled with it. I, I remember heavily for probably two, three years of just the sadness I couldn't shake. And I didn't tell anybody about it. I buried that stuff, like bury it, you know, and, and it kept coming up and I'm like, nope, nope, not going to do it. You know, I, I mean, I came to the point where 
I lived and worked in that community and you know I I remember going to the graves taking a bottle of you know whiskey with me and sitting down next to the graves and just like mourning and but I didn't know what to do with it and uh I just remember being so sorry and so um <laughs> still hurts like why couldn't I done more? Why can I save these? And I had two girls I was hung up on. I had two girls I missed initially on my initial triage. And uh, um, I came back and I found them after. And I was like, that that broke me. That did it for me. And uh, missing these two teenage girls was uh, something that um, changed my life. And, and, you know, I say going to manhood, but at the same time, you know, literally rerouted my entire life, emotional well-being. And, uh, you know, it was something I was not proud of at the time. And we'll get into it maybe a little later, but, you know, no, no suffering, you know, goes without growth. And I didn't realize it at the time. And, uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, that's BS, you know. No, you know, the only time you grow is with suffering. Um, and I think that's huge. And uh, I didn't realize it, though. You know, I'm 28 years old. I am I, I barely even scratched the surface of life. And, um, you know, to be, to be given this burden, I would call it, and to be the, um, you know, one of the more senior firemen of the department, um, I felt like I had an example to lead and I wasn't going to let it affect me. And um, I was just going to be, yep, good to go, man. Active shooter, good to go. No big deal. Like, right back to the street. Let's go to the next call. Um the worst decision I ever made. And uh, th that was huge. So, you know, down the road, as we're getting back into August, um, August, I, I I knew I was slipping. I could feel it. And I'm like, you know, whatever, no big deal. I'll, I'll get through this. It's probably just, you know, depression. Um, you know, I'm not depressed. I'm just feeling depression. Like, it's so funny, the things you reason with and the things you, you know, you come up with, like, oh, I'm not depressed, you know, I'm just depressed. It's crazy. Um, so Brian, most of these conversations that you're talking about are within your own head. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Big you're not, you're not talking to other people to say, Oh, do I need help? Oh, am I depressed? This is all I just voices in your head. I opened up, that'd be the death of my career, especially the people I'm rubbing elbows with. I was like, oh man, if these guys find out about this, brothers in battle, but like all those guys, they're gonna like, they're gonna disown me. They're gonna like, there's no way I'm gonna be able to do this again. And I mean, in long story short, that that's the, the most false thing and the most like ridiculous thing I ever thought. But at the time, that was my thought. I was like, nope. Nope, not telling anybody. Just bottle it. Bottle, bottle, bottle. And, you know, and you, and everybody says you got that emotional bucket, man. That thing hits full. There's nowhere else for it to go besides out. And you can't, you can't stop it once it's full. Um, and, and that's where I was in August. That, that emotional bucket started to boil over. And, like, man, I was, I was a jerk. I was a jerk to my family. I was a jerk to my kids. I was, um, I started to hit the point where like basic tasks, like doing the dishes and making sure the house is clean for my wife was like absolutely um, overbearing and like almost like a, I couldn't do it type task. Like, I don't think I have the will in me to empty the dishwasher. Like that, that's a hard thing to say 
you know, now, but at the time, because I've been through it, I totally understand it. And I was like, man, that's, those are just like giant red flags. But again, nope, nope, not going to tell anybody, just going to bury it, just going to bury it. And uh, <laughs> that, that stuff is, uh, I have seen guys do it. I've seen guys go through it and I should have known better, but it was me and I was worried about me. It was a very selfish thing. And um, yeah. And like just simple tasks. I mean, daily life tasks became unbearable. So also when you say I should, you know, I've seen other people or I I should have seen it. um, Tell me too about what were some excuses that you used to allow yourself to be removed from other people. Cause I know we had talked yeah. and, and you'd say, Hey, I got a lot of stuff going on at work and the family. And yeah. you, I think we try to respect each other's personal space, especially when somebody sets a boundary to say, oh, dude, Brian's busy. I don't want to take away from his family, but yeah. people are good at making up freaking excuses oh, that you don't, that you don't want to tread on their, you don't want to encourage them to not do family or work stuff, you know? Yeah. I think we're so into it that, um, I mean, we're so respectful of each other and yeah, absolutely respect each other's time and things like you said. And it's like, at the same time I could make up, yeah, I got a bunch of stuff going on kids tournament, blah, blah, blah. Like you can, you be, you become a liar. Like you begin to lie to people and I'll be the first one to tell you, I lied to some people, man. It was just like, I'm too busy. I can't do this. I got this going on. Um, you know, I got this project. Oh, I'm sorry. Things are late. Um, you become a liar because you know, it's it's an ability for an out and and you can avoid accountability and i think that's a huge thing like when you're struggling at that point you get those points you don't you don't want to be accountable for anything you don't want to say you have a problem because again that's a a stigma in the fire service that's something we don't want to talk about you know the last thing i want to do is go to my lieutenant and say um yeah man i got a problem i think uh i I think i'm messed up mentally like I can only imagine where that conversation would go and the rumors that would start would be my first thought. Um, where I'm at now, I realize I, I wish I would have done that sooner and I wish those rumors would have spread and I wish I would have came back where I am now because that would have fixed a lot of that stigma. Um, but, you know, at the time, it's like, oh, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to go from, I felt like a pretty good fireman to a giant piece of crap. And uh, I didn't want that. So I'm like, well, you know, I need to fix this on my own. I need to get through this, blah, blah, blah. I don't have a problem the whole time. I don't have a problem. But I knew in the back of my mind something was wrong. And I, I knew where I was going. And my wife knew. Like, my, I remember having a, a bit of a conversation with my, my, I mean, with my wife later. And it was, um, she goes, yeah, you've been absent for the last two years. And I'm like, what? Two years? I said, I was just having this problem for six months. She's like, no, no, you, you've been You've been absent for about two years. And I was like, wow. Like, talk about a conversation, uh, dropping a bomb on you from your spouse. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a hard pill to swallow because I was like, okay. I just thought I had a six-month problem. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, So, Brian, what, what did your wife feel like was going on on the other side? So, I wish she could be on here. Um, according to her, um, she felt like I was just starting to pull away from everything. She, um, I mean, there was questions about maybe an affair. Um, I remember at one point, never happened. But because the way I was pulling away and, and kind of pushing the family aside, um, yeah, she, she, and absolutely to her right, should have thought that. But 
um, it didn't happen. It was me um, essentially entering into a survival mode of, well, I don't want them, them to get hurt. I'm going to push them aside. So I pushed them aside and held them at a distance because, you know, then they don't have to see what I'm going through. Then they don't have to experience the pain and the hurt I'm going through. And um, although those should have been the people I confided in most, but I, I didn't. You know, I, I hit my, my point of isolate, isolate, isolate me. And, um, you know, all I got was nothing out of that, like literally nothing, you know, and, and it should have been the thing of uh, just opening up to my wife. I, I think if I would have opened up my wife early, I think a lot of this might have or I might have gotten treatment sooner. Um, but, you know, I was being the tough fireman. I don't I don't need to talk about this. I don't need to be, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have a problem. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so so when we go through that, it's. You know, it's a stigma in the fire service and something that it's literally right back to survival mode. I'm doing everything I can to preserve my character, preserve how I feel and to make me feel better. And in the end, that that's all the wrong things to do, because if we can't be open, if we can't talk to what we say, our brothers and we can't talk to our wives, um, we have a huge problem. And uh, if we you know, if we can't talk about those things, we're never going to get better. I mean, and that's. So I that's don't exactly. and I, I don't fault the person that's in that, but I feel like us on the outside being your friends should probably check in. If if Brian's blowing me off, hey, Grant, I'm busy. I can't be with uh, I can't do that stuff with you. And, and I'm not seeing that you're acting normal. I mean, I probably should have had Kelly's phone number before all this went down so I can once in a while check in with your wife. I mean, I know it's like uh faux pot if a, uh, a fireman your wife's number uh but at least we can pair stories to say hey kelly is, is, how's brian being because she should be hey man he's just busy with work or remodeling the house and you know family's good i can compare two stories not that i want to call you a liar but man i want to i don't want brothers falling through the cracks and this has happened a couple times where i'm like man, I'm, I'm embarrassed i don't have the spouse's phone numbers of my friends <laughs> when they don't seem right to check in with somebody else. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's really hard. I don't even know if she knew how to re reach out to. Um, I don't know if we were to that point, like in our careers where I, I'd feel like she could call somebody I work with. Like, I, I really don't like, there's probably one or two people, um, you know, and I'm not a guy, I wouldn't say, I don't have like a ton of friends. Like I don't hang out with people all the time. Like I kind of do my thing. Um, I love to be social with people and have people um, into the job and things like that. But it's at the same time, it's all my friends are all firemen. Like I, I couldn't tell you probably more than one friend that I had that's not a fireman. So that's kind of a hard thing, I think, for probably many because, you know, most of us are probably like that. Like, you know, I got tons of firemen friends. You know, I work with guys. They're my friends, right? Well, most of them aren't. You know, I just work with them. But, you know, you get guys outside of it and you're like, oh, man, this guy's a great dude. Well, he, he's still a fireman. <laughs> so um, getting outside that bubble and, you know, the identity and everything like that, um, I think that's hard for a lot of guys because I, I think it's hard to relate. And uh, those are the kind of the things we get into and, and the things we feel like, you know, I relate to these people. They know what I do. They know what I go through. Um, they know my struggles. They, you know, and, and a lot of them don't. But you think they do because they identify as a fireman. And, and, and identity is huge in this fire service. Like when you go to a place to where 
they're like, you know, what identifies you? And, you know, people, people don't say, oh, that's Brian the carpenter. They go, no, that's Brian the fireman. That's, that's uh, Grant the cop or like, you know, the, that's how you're identified. I got to be a cop, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you're off my but, friend you know, list. Those, yeah. You don't go, oh yeah. You know, that's my brother-in-law over there. You know, you know, Brian, the uh, psychologist. No, no. The only, the only people that get identified like that are the firemen and the cops, you know, and, and it feels like, um, that identity or that identity lives with you. You know, when you see broadcast the news, they've got, you know, firemen that mess up, you know, it's, it's the firemen that, you know, killed somebody. No, no, it's not, you know, so-and-so. So, um, that identity becomes part of you. And I, I think, uh, if you pride yourself in it and want to do better for the fire service, that's awesome. But at the same time, um, it's a, it's almost like a, a burden because you can never be you. And you lose that identity a little because uh, anything you do is tied to that, you know, and, um, you know, you want to be you, but you're still Brian, the fireman. And uh, the, to have that identity and not be able to get away from it is hard, especially when you're in an environment that you don't love and you feel toxic. And, um, man, it, it's tough stuff. Um, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into that. And um, I feel... Uh, for guys that, you know, hit the point of, you know, maybe this isn't for me, can't separate from it. And, um, you see that struggle, you see that struggle big time. And, uh, it's, I still can't put it all into words, but uh, I understand it because I've been through it. And I understand it when I was like, I don't know if I want to be a fireman anymore. I think I want to leave. And uh, I was like, that was the most devastating thing to me. It was like, I don't think I want to be in the fire service anymore. I think I'm done. And, uh, that, that was crushing. <clears throat> But um, so I mean, as you're telling your story, you're, we're going down, we're going down, down, down that slippery hill. It's worse. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's get there. All right. So uh, end of August, um, still spiraling, still, still not doing good. Um, haven't talked to anybody yet besides my counselor. My counselor is doing everything he can. And I think he's doing everything he can, which he should be. Um, he was an ex-fireman, ex-paramedic, um, actually super relatable. I really liked him. And I remember sitting down and I was like, man, this ain't cutting it. Like, it's, I'm too far beyond the point of counseling once a week. Um, can we go more? And he's like, well, you know, by your insurance, blah, blah, blah. You know, we can only do once a week. And I'm like, uh, you know, I just, it, again, didn't say a word. I'm like, mm-hmm and and nodded and left and uh, it was probably two days later um i was in my garage late at night drinking heavy and i was like you know what yeah i can't do this anymore man i'm done like there, there's nothing there's nothing that can change to make this better i i am in the lowest of low um you know i remember sending my wife kind of a text i mean it was like midnight so she probably wasn't even up and, uh, you know, <clears throat> sorry for being a horrible husband, sorry for being a horrible, you know, father. Um, I am, I mean, pretty much, you know, just the most negative stuff you could say about me, which she would still say to this day isn't true. And uh, I'm like, you know, I'm sorry. And, you know, building a prop in my garage, I uh, had a forced entry door kind of halfway welded together. Walked over, threw a rope around it, put that rope around my neck, and kneeled into it. And uh, man, just started to watch the lights go out. And uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it was happening. I mean, right there. I mean, it's twelve o'clock at night, and who knows, uh, a Thursday or something. <clears throat> and I, you know, 
I remember thinking about this now, but like the people they had to find me and, you know, hopefully it wasn't my kids and my wife. And, um, you know, I knew the guys in the area that were working and, uh, I remember kind of like, man, I hope, I hope guys that know me don't find me. And, uh, that was it, man, kneeled into it and, and literally, you know, went from big vision to that tunnel vision and, and saw the lights going out. And, uh, <laughs> I've always been a faithful guy. And like I said, my wife is a, just a Christian warrior, and uh, literally had a man's voice that I've never heard before scream at me. And it felt like he grabbed me by the back of my brainstem and, and said, stand up. And uh, <clears throat> it, it, it scared me. Uh, it actually scared me. And sorry, this, this part started to talk about. Um, I remember standing up and I remember being kind of disoriented because, you know, I, I was well on my way. And, um, I remember he was scared and like looking around because I thought somebody was in the garage with me. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I untied the rope, you know, kind of threw it off and I walked over and I literally just collapsed. Like my knees went out and I had nothing. And of course, because, you know, because of God's will, um, my wife saw the text message and the garage door started to open. Like, <clears throat> the, the timing was ridiculous. Um, something I, I know God can only explain, but um, yeah, she walked in and she saw me in a heap and uh, yeah, it was bad and, and she didn't know who to call, you know, and that was the other sad part is, is she um, is just as exposed to these guys in the fire service and some of the best guys out there. She didn't know who to call. And uh, her first call was the Cody trust trail because um, you know, I, just talk so highly of Cody and Cody, you know, we, we were pretty close. And, uh, so she called him and man, it was, uh, I wish I could take back that part of my experience that what I put her through and, um, what she had to go through those few days. Um, it's, it's gut wrenching, gut wrenching still, um, to think about, <clears throat> but you know, thankful I'm still here. So, you know, I, I actually, as much as I didn't want to, mustered up and went to work the next day, and I knew I was in no shape to work. Um, got through the day. <clears throat> Cody called me that evening, and he's like, hey, man, you know, talk to your wife. I understand where you're at. He goes, uh, you need to go somewhere. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I need some help. He's like, no, no, like, you need to go tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, again denying you know everything he's like so i made some phone calls today and uh, i got you an appointment and i'm like mm, what does that mean and uh he's like yeah you're uh you're headed to the center of excellence um it's gonna be a few days and he goes probably like a month and i'm like are you kidding me like you know immediately are you kidding i can't leave my family for a month i can't do this i can't do that like i had all the excuses you know lined up ready to go and he's like you need to go man like just you know as stern as he could be you need to go and i'm like you know, and, and he's, I didn't want to argue with him because at the same time I knew it, but I wanted to have excuses not to go and get the help. And that was hard. Um, so I said, just give me 10 minutes. Let me call you back. Um, so, you know, I did, I sat outside, um, you know, I prayed, I haven't prayed in a while because of course I, I pushed away from everything, not even my family, but my faith, like I just pushed away from it all. You know, I got this, right? I got this. I don't need anybody. Wow. You see where that, you know, landed me. So I prayed and I, 
had a little bit of sense of peace in it. And I was like, I don't know. So I remember calling my wife, Kelly, and she's like, yeah, I called Cody. I know. <laughs> she's like, she knew everything. I was like, okay, so should I say yes? She's like, yeah, absolutely. You're already going. <laughs> there was no questions about it. Like I, I was, I was on my way. So I called Cody back, um, let him know. And, I'm like, and he's like, you know, thank God. We're going to make sure you get there. If you need a ride, if you need a flight, you know, anything, we'll, we'll take care of it. And, uh, man, those dudes, brothers in battle took care of me, man, big time. Um, I know kind of the word spread. I know it got to you guys. Um, I understand many of you guys took care of me too, um, either financially or through. Uh, I can't be thankful enough for the people that stood up when they realized, <clears throat> you know, somebody was in need. And, uh, and it, it was severe. Like there, there was no chance I would have made it a few more weeks. No chance. Um, I'll tell you that I, I, I was that low. So, man, I, I'm so grateful that for that, that opportunity and the people that stepped up. Um, and you know, everybody says, "Oh, you had the courage to ask for help." I'm like, nah. I don't know if I had the courage to ask for help. I really don't. I, I felt like uh, help was given to me, and thankfully from I think God and, and some really good friends because. I don't think I had the courage to ask for that help. I don't, I don't think I was there. So, you know, and that was that. So I had to wait, I think four, four or five days to get there just because it's that busy. I mean, there's that many dudes struggling with this stuff and it, it's no joke. Um, you know, in fact, there's a wait list to get in for mental health for firemen and tells you, tells you something. Um, so, you know, do you want to add anything? Sorry, not to cut you off. I've been rambling along, but <laughs> this, this is about your story, not my interjection. <laughs> so yeah, man, we, uh, my wife's like, yep, I'm going to drive you. I'm going to make sure you get there. And I'm like, oh, all right, I see what's going on. <laughs> you know, we, we jump in the car. Um, we drive down, we stop in Washington, DC. Uh, Long story short, I actually, my wife was working in Washington, D.C. when we got back together again. So we kind of, it was kind of an opportunity to go back to where we met. And also um, I went to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, which was crazy, but like super moving to me at the time. Um, got to see the changing of the guard, had that opportunity, and then then drove through those front gates of the Center of Excellence. And uh for many that don't know, the IFF Center of Excellence is probably like one of the best places in the country to get mental health. And it's not only because, you know, the IFF slaps their name on it. It's because the people that are there, um, most of them are doing this part time there, minus the main staff. And most of them work at the either Bethesda or some of the main military places that deal with psychological trauma. And the people that are there are, they're, they're absolutely experts in what they do. Um, they, they will defuse people. They will, the stuff I've seen them do is incredible. And the stuff, man, seeing people roll in there completely broken like myself um, and going in 30 days, which will blow your mind when you don't realize, like, I was trying to hang myself in the garage and within, I stayed there 37 days. So 37 days. I'm leaving in a totally different mindset that tells you the amount of work those people do there and, and their talent and uh, their dedication of, of what's available there. Um, you know, I don't, do you want me to get into what the, the center of excellence is about or how it works or. Heck we... yeah. Well, you know right. what, let's save that for, let's, let's go through your experience and then let's, let's okay. yeah. come back to that. Cause I want to make sure that if people need the help, they know what's out there. We'll include all that information in show notes um, 
but I want to, I want to just segue through your story first. Yeah. So I, I rolled in there. Um, you usually do like a week in like the, um, I can't remember entirely what everything's called now, but it is an op- observation unit to make sure you're not withdrawing to make sure you're not, you know, something's, you know, make sure you're not going to try to kill yourself. Um, you know, they're, they're watching you. You're, you're in a mental health facility, but at the same time you're treated like a complete human. Um, you are giving pretty much everything they can give you up to the point of at least your safety. So that first week you, you sleep in a room by yourself, you know, whatever they're watching you, um, they're medicating you. If you will take it, um, they're trying to talk you into getting medicated. And I think that's like the world's giantest thing. There is like, I don't need medicine. I'm fine. Well, most of the people there are so, um, <clears throat> there's such in a fog between alcohol, substance, whatever you walk into that, um, you, you do need medicated because you will never reach the point of, um, a mental clarity to receive the help because of the, just the amount of toxins and and things you plugged in your body for how long Um, you're not going to hit it. And these medicines and everything they give you help, um, they get you to the point where you can start to receive the help. And I think that's huge because if you can't receive the help um, you you just live in that alcohol substance fog. And it's so easy to do because it, it feels, you know, great at the time, right? Except for every morning when you wake up and, you know, so they get you through that detox, they get you through um, a system, and then they get you into some treatment. Um, and then you begin your path there. And um, I, my path was uh, PTSD. They said, you have uh, some trauma issues. And I was like, yeah, uh, probably do. You know, And again, blowing everything off, still blowing everything off, like no big deal. Um, got into these trauma groups, and uh, they were like, yeah, you're going to talk about your trauma today. I'm like, what? <laughs> like in front of all these people they're like yeah we're gonna break down your story we're gonna put it on the whiteboard we're gonna go through it um, we're gonna do some trauma and i was like beside myself and i was like oh my gosh there's no way and uh so you know i got through a little bit of it and they now, could brian, tell brian were you the, telling were you talking to staff or were you talking to other people that were yeah. in there talk to staff but i had peers all around me that i didn't know so, and, and these are these trauma groups and, uh, th- there's a reason behind this and, and why they do it. But at the same time, it's, uh, you know, the, the staff kind of, it's crazy. The staff already knows what you're there for, but they'll act like they don't. Um, but they know exactly who's who, who they're treating what. And it, it's incredible. They, they're so good at it. And, and literally they have meetings daily and talk about each person and you can actually like print out your patient records later and see the notes. And it's like, wow. Like you want to talk about a place that's got their stuff together and watches their people. Um, I, I couldn't think of a better place. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we work through this and they, and they, they work you a little and they, they kind of run you to the point of breaking and then they stop, you know, and they're like, all right, we're done for today. We'll, we'll continue next day. And you're like, you know, you're, you're, you're spent at that point. You're done. Um, you know, so later in the day, they're like, Oh, you know, we're, we're going to do some, uh, can't remember the exact word for it but it's uh it's like an art therapy and they're like we're gonna make a collage and here's magazines you can cut out pictures and glue them on a page and you know just try to build your story on a page now i mean i remember literally i'm like i am sitting here gluing pictures from a magazine on a piece of paper and i'm like this is the dumbest thing like there's no way this place can help me and uh i got about halfway through and i found some pictures of things that reminded me of our honeymoon my wife and my kids and i lost i mean absolutely uncontrollable started crying i I couldn't do it everything came out 
Like literally, I mean, just, I couldn't get myself together. It, it was for 15 minutes. Um, I was done like right there that broke me and the, the, the bucket or whatever I had just blah, all over the floor. And, um, <clears throat> I, I was like, I was done. Like you, there's rock bottom. And then there's, I think emotional bottom. And I think when you can make that emotional dump and get that, <clears throat> hit that point of purging those emotions out of you, because many of them are negative. And many of those things that, you know, you've seen over the years, like those things, <laughs> they got to come out. They don't stay in there. And um, when I hit that rock bottom, man, I like, I remember feeling like a hollow shell of a man. It was, you know, you hear guys go to boot camp and stuff and get broke. Like I was broke. Like that was it. That broke me. And I, I literally glued some magazine pictures on a page and that broke me. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know at that point, you know, what was to take place throughout my stay there. But um, man, I knew, I knew I was in bad shape. So, you know, obviously I continue my treatment. Um, you graduate and you go to, you know, you go to six days. So it's, you know, I won't get too into it, but, you know, get six days of class, um, go to class all week. And then you continue treatment. So they had uh, EMDR, which is like not a hypnotism, but like a, uh, it's like a light that moves back and forth. It's supposed to put you into a kind of a, not a hypnotic state, but a state where it allows you to um, kind of recall um I can't remember all the terms, but recall your traumatic events from your um, kind of memory. And you're able to recall those traumatic events, relive them, and kind of purge them from your memory. Um, super effective for me. Um, probably one of the scariest things I've ever been through because the fact that the worst thing I ever saw was that active shooter event. The fact to sit down in a room with somebody else and to have to relive that and to actually have to feel that emotions again. Like I, I remember, like I was trembling and wanted to throw up by the time I left that session. And I was like, you know, oh my gosh, what, what just happened? I was wrecked for the rest of the day. And they're like, you're fine. Just go to bed. And that's what I did. Like it was four o'clock. I was like, right to bed, done, mentally spent. Um, <clears throat> I remember just bringing up things emotionally, things like that. And it was like, oh my gosh, like stuff I would have never wanted to relive again. But um, you know, woke up the next day and I actually felt better immediately. <clears throat> and I was like, wow, it was weird. Like, I don't think I've felt like this since I've been here. And then uh, we went back for round two and did a second session. And the second session wasn't as hard. And then I did round three and the third session was, you know, less than the second. So <clears throat> I was getting significant results from that. And, um, <clears throat> you know, at the same time, I was beginning to have, uh, but it was probably week three, some significant mental clarity to, you know, what, what I was going through. Um, I was praying and actually like feeling like I was talking to God again. Um, I was, you know, I, I should have grabbed it. I didn't, but um, man, I got some journal entries that are, I mean, just vivid you, journal entries that probably weren't me writing, but were God speaking through me, telling me where I needed to be. And, um, you know, some things I can't even explain because um, the healing that was going on. Um, I think the amount of peace you get there, the amount of, uh, man, it's it's just a good place. You know, and I, I can't talk it up enough, but at the same time, you see the people there that struggle and don't have faith. Um, the people that struggled the most are the ones that didn't have faith. The pe They had, I don't want to say anything to live for, but at the same time, 
I think you understand what is there if you don't have faith? What is there if you don't have God? What, you know, it's a hard thing to see people go through. And it's a hard thing to see people suffer as, as much as I was suffering. And then to say, well, you know, they don't believe, so there's nothing. Um, man, that still like chokes me up because, you know, I, I wish I could have done more there. I wish I could have, you know, offered some faith in my experience. And I did to some people that I, you know, were talking to, but, I was doing my own healing, so I don't feel like, you know, I was at the capacity to do that. I, I really wasn't. And, uh, but man, that, that hurt. And to see people go through that, that, that hurt a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I think that was my hardest struggle there, to, you know, just to be honest. <clears throat> so you had a basis of faith before all of this. So you had a familiar place to go back to or to find strength within. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point. If, you know, if somebody doesn't have the faith on the front end, uh, when you get to a bad place, you don't know where to go to. Uh, no, and they didn't. And it's like, and when you heal, what do you come back to? Like when I healed, I came back to God. I came back to my prayer. I came back to my faith. Like I was always a believing Christian, but definitely pushed myself away because I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to do, but, my wife is is a rock. I mean, she never wavered. <laughs> she she is the woman that is always there, always you know steady, always goes to church. I mean, she's the best. And uh, but but my first reaction was to push away from that, which is crazy. But um, yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, it's huge. Like I knew what I needed, but I couldn't get there without the help. And I think that's gigantic. And it was not even the help of the COE. It was the help of my family at home. It was the help of the guys at Brothers in Battle. It was the help of um, probably two guys at my work that were significant in my recovery. And, um, you know, man, it's it's just, it's an event that I would never want to live through, but I'm glad I lived through it. You know, again, um <clears throat> I want to be there to help others get through it now. You know, that's kind of the reason I'm speaking out about it. And it's, uh, it's super vulnerable. It's super personal. Um, you know, I'm talking about taking my own life and stuff like that and getting back to recovery. And, um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's heavy, tough stuff and guys don't want to talk about it. Um, I, I appreciate you sharing this and this isn't, you know, I know a lot of people say, Oh, I like short podcasts and stuff. This isn't something that we could unpack in a short podcast. So I hope people are still, still listening, but talking to you just before you went in, when you were in right after you were coming out and talking to you now, man, the, the distance in your emotional being is freaking huge. The time isn't that big. And I know I went through some of my own struggles and uh, man, when you see him at the worst, and you feel like there's nothing worth living. Look back at it. Like how long ago was that, Brian? Yeah, a year and a half. I mean, not and, long. And think about where you're at now. That yeah. distance to get you back. It was a long, hard road. Oh, yeah. But, but in the scheme of an entire life, shoot, <laughs> this we could be having a way different conversation right now. Go fund me to help, you know, Brian's family out. Yeah, that stuff haunts me. Um, I, I will tell you that the the fact that I put my wife that close to that that man, 
that stuff is hard um, because I think about that. I see it all the time and I see the suicides and I, I, I'm it just crushes me when I see somebody take their life. Um, and, and, and listen, like there's um, at this point, at least one guy I, I spent my time with at the COE that didn't make it. He took his life. Um, you know, and we, we had uh, like, I was there the whole time with him. Uh, it, it's crushing. Like, and I was not the person I would have thought that would have did it. And he just, he got out and didn't make it. Um, <clears throat> so did, did, I guess to get into that, I guess for one, when I went there, I ran into somebody I knew there and I will not tell their name, but I'm so happy they were there with me. And it was so, um, like blew my mind. Like, there's no way you're here with me right now. There's no way. Like, but we're here together and we're going to get through this. And we spent some great times together and I love the dude to death and, <clears throat> I'm so grateful that he was there with me because I feel like that helped me. Um, and, you know, so, so we roll through the rest of it, man, things are great. Um, I graduate 37 days. I get my coin. I go through the graduation ceremony. It's a huge deal. Uh, my wife comes, picks me up with my kids. Um, yeah, that's uh, good days in your life. That's a good one. <laughs> so, you know, we, we spend a night in a hotel and we get home, we all get COVID the next day. It's great. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm home with my family and we're all good. And, uh, from what I think things are great. <laughs> um, so we, you know, get home and, uh, I ended up taking the next month off of work <clears throat> to just try to spend time with my family and get through things. And, uh, yeah, man, I wasn't there yet. Like 37 days. I wasn't there yet. I, I was, it was like a yo-yo still um, trying to figure stuff out, trying to get my feet. Um, I could tell my wife was uncomfortable. She was obviously frustrated and kind of fried because she just spent the last you know month and seven days without her husband. She had literally like, I can't give my wife enough credit for, she kept the household together, kept all the bills paid. Um, <clears throat> she, she literally ran everything during that time. and didn't ask me for a thing, but just for me to come home. And, uh, I can't be more grateful and more blessed for you know, what God gave me. And that's, that's all there is to it. Like, you know, I, I look at her in a different way now, um, for sure. I think before then when we were married and, uh, in a way that, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, th there's nobody else like her. There really isn't. And, uh, you know, it was great. You know, but cutting back to it, got home and I still struggled. I think in the next three months I still struggled. Um, I was up and down. Uh, my emotions were up and down. Um, I, I think the biggest part is I felt like I just felt like I was trying to find my feet. And I couldn't find my feet. Um, I knew what I wanted to do, but trying to put that stuff in motion um, was tough. And at the same time, I knew when I came back, um, the Center of Excellence does a good job of getting into identity like we talked about before and being a fireman and being identified as a fireman um, and letting you know it's okay to walk away from the job. And that's like, I think for most guys that are into the job and want to be a fireman, that's like, that rips their guts out. Like, what do you mean I can leave? Like I'm a fireman. That's, that's what I do. And it's like, well, no, you don't have to. This might not be for you. Even 15 years in where I was or 18 years, you know, it's not for you. Um, or, you know, what's going on? What are you suffering? And, and uh, 
you know, that's where you break the point of um, we get into that moral injury phase. So, you know, and, and guys that don't understand moral injury, moral injury is something you suffer significantly in the fire service through um, kind of what you do, your character, um, the things you do, the things you try to put forth, the things that get kicked back in your face. Um, we talk about toxic cultures. We talk about identity. Um, a lot of that is moral injury. Like that stuff comes back big time and um, you feel it defines you, but it also breaks you and it, and it, and puts you in a place that um, you may not want to be in because, you know, I want to be a fireman. I want to be this. I'm identified as fireman. You know, what happens if I walk off tomorrow and I, you know, I'm going to work as, you know, my, my plan was to go do rope access. Um, like I said, I give the fire department I was working for, um, six months and I was like, if it doesn't work out, I'm out. And I was two months in, I was like, there's no way this is going to work out. I, I am in the same place with this place. I am in the same, uh, suffering the same moral injury. I'm seeing the same things, the same toxic culture, the same. Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, man, this ain't happening. Like, like there's gotta be something I gotta do. And uh, I was, I was searching jobs outside the fire service. I was done. I was leaving, you know, and, as crazy as it sounds, as somebody's passionate I am, and as long as I've been involved, like that was it. Like pulled the cord, I'm done. <laughs> you know? So, um, and, and that that was sad to me, knowing how good and passionate you were. I'm like, man, I remember you talking to me. I think I'm gonna be a lineman. I think I'm gonna go do something else. I'm like, oh, Brian, like, bro, you got so much more to offer. But <clears throat> on the flip side, you know, being at a department that doesn't work out for you. That's a, that's bad. And you know, I was thinking as you were telling me, like the burden of making your department great or making it where you think it should be should never fall on one dude. Sometimes you got to realize the people above you are going to do what they're going to do. And it is what it is. And if you can't get over that, that might not be that place for you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I was. Like, I felt like I was shouldering the burden. Maybe, maybe I had a few dudes with me, but at the same time, you know, you know, sometimes letting social media, you know, you know, one guy can make a difference in an apartment. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> you know. One guy can definitely make a difference, but one guy is not probably going to change the culture. Um, you know, he can help it. He's not going to change it. You know, it, it takes more dudes. And uh, that's tough. You know, and I, I remember I actually, I think right when I left the Center of Excellence, I actually left social media completely. Like I took almost a year off, um, deleted it all. And it was the best thing I could have done because getting out of that mindset and seeing the, the nonsense on there and, you know, there's a lot of good stuff, but man, there's so much bad. There's so much stuff that if you want to be depressed, go read through the comments on social media. That that will crush your soul. Um, <clears throat> so getting away from that, you know, it was a healing thing. And then, and then moving on, it was, I think, March. I remember waking up like three in the morning and I'm on my fifth nursing home call of the night. And I'm like, there's no way I can do this for another 10 years. There's no way. Like, there's no way. So, you know, I seriously started investigating that uh, rope access job. And thankfully, some things came up. Uh, the interview didn't work out. Something fell through. And then a lateral transfer position opened up for the city of Elyria on, um, like, February. So put in for it. Um, I think I interviewed. I didn't hear anything back for, like, six months or maybe four months. It was a while. And I was like, I don't botch that, you know, back to, back to plan C. And, uh it was probably August. I got a phone call. They're like, Hey, you want to uh, come back for a second interview? I'm like, yeah, I'll come back for a second interview. And uh, it was 15 minutes later. Like, yeah, we're going to skip that second interview. Do you want the job? And I'm like, Oh boy, this just got real, real quick. Like, 
I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. Like, absolutely I do. And I've known enough a little bit about that department and the chief and um, some of the training aspects and, and what that department's about. Um, I, I felt like I wanted to be there, but man, I was still, I didn't know. I mean, it, this was a leap of faith completely. And it was me praying to God and me um, kind of putting my faith in him. And uh, let me tell you about exercising patience because my patients were about done then. Um, I felt like I was like, oh, man, I'm going to go back. Like, I, I could feel it. Like, I was like, if I can't get out of this place, I can't avoid this moral injury. I can't get out. You know, it, it was just coming down on me. And uh, <clears throat> sure enough, you know, I, I I think it was like beginning of September. I got a phone call or like, yep, you're in. Go get your physical and your psych. Let's go. And I was like panicked because I was like, psych. I'm like according to me right now, I'm a psych psychological nightmare. Like, you know, I just went through all this and went through, you know, and, and I was like, there's no way it's a, you know, and I thought I was in a good place then. And I didn't think I was going to ever hurt anybody or do anything. But at the same time, I was like, I was panicked and, uh, you know, got through the psych and everything was good. And you're like, yeah, you're fine. I'm like, all right. You know, kind of reentered it. Like, yeah, you know, I know I'm good, but, um, I know where I'm at at the same time. And, you know, and, and, uh, I started this job and, this job has reinvigorated my, I mean, everything I ever loved about the fire service, um, the culture, the history, um, the emphasis on training, um, the guys, how well they treat me. And let me tell you, you want to talk about a lateral transfer guy coming in with 18 years of service. Um, everybody's looking for something wrong with you. Everybody thinks that either you were out, you're welcome at your job and you're looking for an escape or, you know, um, you know, they're worried they're going to get a turd. And I totally understand it from the other side. And I, I remember sitting in the interviews thinking the same thing, like, you know, this is, oh man, these guys are probably hate me, you know, sitting here with, with what I had, but somehow they put enough faith in me and you know hopefully maybe references i don't even know i've never asked but um seeing what i had to offer in my certifications and you know i was pretty heavy on those and um man it's it's been the greatest experience i think of my career to be involved with these people and um to be a part of this department right now um it, it couldn't have happened at a better time um it couldn't and, and still, like, I'm so excited to go to work every day again. Like, I'm so invigorated to build props again and, and like, be into the job. Like, and it's amazing it, just that change. That's all it took. And it took a leap of faith completely. It took a huge pay cut, um, you know, not to lie. It, it was to the point where it put our family in, in maybe a position that was uncomfortable. Um, but let me tell you, my wife's like, yep. She goes, I see you need it. I see that place is killing you. And, um you you can we can make this move and we'll make it work and god will provide for us and he did he, he provided for us the whole way and uh, now i'm sitting here two days off probation and uh you know i'm about to get a raise and and i love it there i love it so much and, and i'm just i love everybody there i'm so grateful to be there and it's man it's just uh it's it's so good it, it, it's such a positive experience that i want to share with people and and tell them, man, there's, there's so much fear and anxiety going into this stuff, but you have to allow God to do his work and you have to be patient. And I, I think the patience is almost what killed me <laughs> at the same time. The patience is also what helped me grow. And, and that's what God's about. 
That's awesome. Um, you know, funny, we had no intention. We talked briefly that we were going to do this, but I didn't know yeah. that we were going to do this today. I woke up today, or actually when I was in, in church today, I just heard Acts 4.13. I'm like, what the heck? So I, I looked that up, and uh, I looked it up when I was at church, and then you're talking, and we talk about faith. And, like, we're not Bible scholars, but we can talk about how the Lord works in our life. That's our testimony, right? And no lie, this is what 4.13 says. Uh, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Like, that's awesome. That's you sharing this story on, <laughs> on how the Lord worked in your life. Um you know, wh whether you believe or not, uh, dude, th this, this, this works. <laughs> um, just crazy, crazy how all that stuff works together. Um, when a couple things that I just wanted to ask you about, you talked a little yeah. bit about going into the center of excellence. What did you think? Yeah. Did you think you were going to get, it was going to work or were you like, whatever, I got nothing else to lose. I knew that, like I said, I don't think I could have made it another few weeks. Um, I, I would have killed myself. I, I was there. I was committed, fully ready to go. And I was like, I'll give this a shot. And because I'm getting away, maybe that'll be the best shot because I'm not at home. Because if you leave me home alone again, it's probably going to happen. Because that, that was the mental headspace I was in. And you couldn't pull me out of that without, you know, I mean, somebody telling you it's okay isn't going to do it that day. Um, and me going in there, um, I gave it a shot and I felt like I, because, because of the support I had going into it, I went in there with a open mind and kind of, a, maybe not an open heart completely, but a, you know, the ability to allow it to come into my heart. And what I found was the center of excellence probably never entered my heart. It was the, um, time I was allowed outside alone in peace and quiet with no stress on my life and no burdens to accept um, some of the messages I got from God and um, you know being able there's healing there um, there's there's healing to be able to place you know and I don't want to say a sterile environment but maybe a lightly stress-free environment um, to receive that mental clarity and I don't think I ever prayed and talked so clearly with God beyond then because of what what you're given there. But again, if you don't have faith, man, that's a, that's a, that's a heavy, heavy burden. Um, and I still like mourn for those people, but also I have some friends there and I can call them friends that I still talk to this day. And um, we still talk about the struggles we went through. And we talked about some of the greatest times we had, we're sitting around, literally you could sit around a campfire and talk about your life and spill your guts. And that was some of the greatest therapy I think I ever had there was being able to talk to another fireman and, and give them my biggest fears and my biggest regrets. And it was like, wow. And that's not, that's not me. I mean, that's God letting me be vulnerable and letting him, you know, project some of my experiences onto somebody else and them being able to relate. Like, you know, everybody wants to say, oh, well, you know, that's just this or that. It's like, no, this is, this is God giving these opportunities and uh, we need we need to acknowledge that and be grateful for it. And uh, man, lives are changed there every day. Uh, it's just, but 
you got to go for one. And I've helped a few guys through it, um, you know, with their packing lists, with their things and help them get there. And, and for the most part, you know, like I said, there, there's always one. Um, but <clears throat> the guys that I've seen gone, I'm back a different person, but for the good, you know. <clears throat> That's cool. You told us so many uh the warning signs that you recognized. You also said you they put you into the PT, PTSD realm and then you recalled some incidents. Did you know which incidents bugged you before you went into there and went through that process? Or did you just like, yeah, dude, I've seen some bad stuff. Or yeah. you no, know, bro, I've been messed up ever since that. Because yeah, I, I don't I have know PTSD. That- <laughs> I don't have PTSD because I'm not in the military. That was that was my first thought. Um, yeah, I saw some dead people and they got shot up, you know, no big deal. It's, that's, you know, it's one call, um, man, come to it. They dig in, they dig in hard. Like they, they dig deep. Um, I got into stuff way, way deeper than my job. And and I'll tell you that I'm glad you asked this question because, um, there's plenty of stuff for my job that I consider trauma, um, things that we're, we have to see that we don't want to see and things, you know, that we may not be able to cope with. Um, but at the same time, most of us have childhood trauma. Most of us have some sort of family trauma, um, parental trauma. Um, we have parents that live with trauma. I grew up living with, you know, a my dad. His dad was a World War II veteran alcoholic and beat him. That's that's trauma. I grew up with a mom that, um, you know, was molested by a family member. That's trauma. Like, so I had two parents living with PTSD that raised me. And then we got into, you know, I had to laugh. Like the one counselor's like, oh yeah, you got mommy issues. And I'm like, what? I had a great life. You know, it was, they treated me great. She's like, no, not so much. We'll get into this. And and they dived into it. And it was like, wow. You know, like there's, there's a lot more there than you realize and a lot more. So don't always chalk this up to, I, I saw a bad call and I messed up. Um, a lot of times there's a lot deeper, deeper issues that you get into. And especially when you get there and you have days on days on days for them to dig into it and talk to you about it. Um, they get into it, but at the same time you resolve a lot of it. And like I said, the reason you come out feeling better is because you resolve these things. Like you got through these things, you talk through them. Yeah. I mean, you're professional clinicians and, um, yeah, there's horrible things. And I mean, you hear, hear and see some of the stuff these guys go through and you're like, why am I here? Like my story's not that bad, but it is because it's your story. You have your own story. You have your own traumas and they affect you in your own way. Like don't, don't dismiss that because you know, your story's not that bad. If you're struggling, get the help. Your story's bad. Like it's okay. You're allowed to have a bad story, but if we want to recover from it, like, let's go, let's get the help and let's do it. And, um, hardest thing ever to do. It is hardest thing ever to do is ask for help. But when the help starts coming, you start seeing the results, man, it's, it's killer. Like it it really is. So Brian, I feel like we went through a ton, but I do got one (laughs) other question because I don't want to wait until we're 400 pounds and we got to go on the biggest loser to get to that point like do you have any recommendations now or any thoughts on how you're going to maintain this because we're all going we're all seeing stuff every day going to the job we all got some um some element of of butt hurt from our fire department and stuff what can we do to try to avoid hitting that rock bottom if you've got any thoughts yeah i think um i, I had these maybe a while ago but now um the biggest thing is you know we everybody I, it's almost i don't know 
becoming sad to the point where it's like, oh, avoid the stigma. Avoid no, no, literally, let's avoid the stigma. Like, let's start talking about this stuff. Like, dude, if you got a problem or you see a bad call, you need to immediately start talking about people to it, and you need to find people at your department that you can confide in and talk to them about this. Like, and if you don't have um, the people at your department you can talk to about this, we need to find some family members because we cannot get we cannot go to a three year old that drowned in a pool and do CPR on him and say we're okay tomorrow. We're not. That's not normal for any human. Um, we need an outlet. We need to be able to talk about it. An outlet is not. I'm going to drink a few beers and talk about it and you know hope things get better or I'm going to you know whatever you got to do to numb it or beyond you know go beyond it. But we need that opportunity. Um, you know, and the stigma again is like. You know, I ran into an individual that was a, uh, you know, a superior at a job and they made a trip to the center of excellence and they refused to ever talk about it because of the position they're in. And I was like, that's like one of the biggest crimes I think now that could, could ever be had. Like you're, you're a superior and you have failed to share your experience and project anything you've learned to your guys. Um, and and I think as of now, that's my job. I want to talk about this more. And it's like I said, it's it was super awkward the last year. Um, I, I haven't opened up much because it's man, it's vulnerable. Like I'm talking about me and my family, and I'm bringing you into places that I I don't really want people at, you know. But um, if I can help somebody and direct them, and after the few people I've helped um, get to the center of excellence, um, give them them packing, you know, their packing lists, um, what to expect. Um, we, we, you know, what you should do, how you can get there. If you can't get there, how we'll get you there. Um, that stuff's huge. And, uh, to know that helps there and know there's hope. Um, that's what we, I want to continue to push. Um, and again, well, I'll throw a phone number out there at the end that you guys can call me. Um, if, if you gotta go, you gotta go, man, it's okay. And there's no judgment. There's no, let's go, let's get you what you need and, and let's go. Um, and I think, uh, for me to maintain it, uh, personally, um, it's going to be continuously investing in God. Um, I, I literally like, I was inconsistent on church still. Um, I went this morning and, you know, try to go with my wife and kids and, and do everything I can. Obviously our schedules don't always allow that, but went this morning and, and it hit me. And I was like, I leaned her my wife and when she got home and I just hugged her and I'm like, I'm like, thank you for being so, um, I can't remember what I said to her, but consistent, like, Thank you for always encouraging me to go because church moved me for once in a long time today. And, uh, you know, it's not always there, you know, you don't, you don't always have the answer, <laughs> but yeah. And yeah, it is tough with our schedule, but there's options. I mean, you can get online, there you can is. find one and there's no cookie cutter. Uh, and if you didn't like your church experience when you were a kid, uh, there's a lot of other options. It's not always stand up, sit down and read a bunch of stuff you don't understand. Um, man, just get a relationship. That's that's the yeah. thing that I can say to people. Find something that works, uh, but make it uh, Bible based, you know. <clears throat> oh, dude, that was awesome. You know, I'm so grateful you shared everything. I know it wasn't easy, um, but I really do believe that uh, you sharing your story and being just tearing off the scab and being really raw is going to help a ton of people. Um, you know, yeah. hopefully hope more it. on the front end, you know, rather than on the late end, but, um, dude. Yeah. And it's, it's okay. Like it's again, I don't want to make it a, uh, I don't know. 
stupid statement, but it's okay not to be okay. You, you, you can suffer in this job. Absolutely. But just get the help. Could please reach out. And uh, I mean, we see suicide time and time again, and it's most of it's senseless because you were where I was. And for some reason, God allowed me to reach out. And I also surrounded myself and I give great credit to it with great friends like yourself, um, with Cody, with Gary, with, um, I mean, just incredible humans that would do anything to help each other. And, um, I think if you surround yourself with those people, um, man, you're going to get the help. Um, but at the same time, not everybody has that. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I'm blessed for sure, but, um, just reach out and you can call me like anytime you want to talk about it. Well, let's go. Like I, I'm usually always available and can do it anytime. And, uh, you know, if I'm not, I'll call you back. Well, cool, Brian. Um, I'm going to pop up on the uh, show notes, the information for the IFF center of excellence and the phone number, uh, you know, we can put your number in there if you want. Um, yeah. Dude, I'm so excited. Uh, number one, you're doing better. Number two, you got to share the story and we're actually having this conversation uh, rather than me having to have gone to a funeral and, and just, <clears throat> man, my heart was heavy when you were going through all that. And man, I'm so glad. I'm so glad, uh, to be having a conversation with you, bro. I absolutely love you. I get to see you in two weeks. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's going to be good. Yeah. I'm pumped. And I mean, thank you for your support and always being there. And, you know, if you guys didn't know, I called Grant the other day because I was having a hard time and he was the first one to pick up the phone and help me through it. And, you know, it's, we all have hard times. So if we don't have people we can't call, um, you know, it becomes hard. It becomes a burden. So, man, get those friends, get those people you can call. And, dude, I love you to death. <laughs> yeah. And the sarcasm and ball busting can go uh, a certain distance, but I feel like you really need to establish uh, a good uh, couple dudes that you can talk to and and really be upfront with and, and know that they they might bust your balls a little bit, but they'll know when you're serious. That That's so important. I had, um, I had an incident a couple of years. I felt like I had a rash of about uh, three or four guys that were really close to me that died, uh, you know, one through suicide and a couple others through just, just freak accidents. And then one was sick and it just weighed on me. And I remember you talking about that purge point and well, I was just bawling. And uh, called my wife because I didn't, you know, it's like, I just don't even know what to do. And she called, uh, she called a couple guys, man, they came over to the house. We just hung out in the driveway. Uh, everybody's like, hey, uh, just for now, uh, we're, you're going to give us all your guns just for now. And yeah. uh, it, not that we don't <laughs> trust you, but you know what? We'll give them back. But uh, yeah. and dude, that, that was such a, um, I felt so safe having those guys around and those guys know who they are. And I appreciate you. Uh, but man yeah. it's okay you said it it's okay not to be okay so just kind of try to reach out yeah and there's plenty of people here to help even if you don't know me i mean you know if you just want to hear what i went through and it helps you great you know we don't need to be friends but i can tell you my experiences and I, i'm more than glad to get in deep in the woods because uh i'm doing a disservice if i'm not sharing my story and that's one of the biggest things i think i took away as a I'm going to sit here silent. I'm not helping anybody. You know, the only person I help is myself. And uh, that's, that's not what God wants, you know, God to love each other and, and be able to share a story and be able to help each other every day. We appreciate you uh, building props and teaching people how to get indoors, but uh, this is way, way, way more important. So thank you uh, for doing your part, Brian. Uh, Thanks, any, anything else that you want to add or uh, how people can get a hold of you if they need before we wrap up? Yeah. 
can uh, call me anytime, 330-687-7749. Um, it's Ohio 330, LeBron country area code. Um, <laughs> and uh, give me a call. Leave me a voicemail. You might get screened if I don't know your number. Um, but yeah, I will call you back if you leave me a voicemail. And then, uh, you know, reach out on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Um, just personal page now, pretty light. Like I said, I, I kind of took a big break from social media. Um, I see it at a class, Brothers in Battle. Pull me aside. We can chat. Um, you know, we see it at FDIC. Pull me aside. We can chat. Um, I'll be there and, and more than glad to talk about it. And if you need more time later after class, I'll meet you. You know, so just just give me a yell. I'm always available. But, um, yeah, I, I just, again, thank you. I'm super grateful to be on this and to talk with you. And, man, it's, it's, it's good to get this stuff out there, I feel. And it just it feels so good <laughs> to talk. <clears throat> awesome. Well, it's great to spend the day with you, Brian. Uh, thank everybody for listening. Uh, check out the show notes. Reach out to either one of us if you got any questions. And uh, hopefully it's uh, next episode's not too far behind this. All right. Awesome. So thanks for listening. Thanks. Take care, buddy.